Our scripture reading is from 1 John 2, starts with 1 John 2, 29, and continues into chapter 3, verse, verse 8. 1 John 2, 29, and 3, 1 through 8. If you know that he is righteous, you know that everyone who does what is right has been born of him. How great is the love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called the children of God. And that is what we are. The reason the world does not know us is that it did not know him. Dear friends, now we are children of God, and what we will be has not been made known. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. Everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself, just as he is pure. Everyone who sins breaks the law. In fact, sin is lawlessness. But you know that he appeared so that he might take away our sins. And in him is no sin. No one who lives in him keeps on sinning. No one who continues to sin has either seen him or known him. Dear children, do not let anyone lead you astray. He who does what is right is righteous, just as he is righteous. He who does what is sinful is of the devil, because the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's work. So this is the last Sunday you'll see us in this format. Next Sunday will be sort of a dress rehearsal for the reopening of the services. So we'll have the band here, the ushers will be here, the technical people will be here, and we will live stream the rehearsal as our service. And then the week after that, on July 4th, Saturday night, and July 5th, Sunday morning, we'll reopen our public services. We can't tell you how much we're looking forward those days. This morning, I would like to give us attention, give our attention to Romans 6, beginning with verse 1. Romans 6, verse 1. This passage follows on the heels of last week's passage from Romans 5, and it answers, I guess, some simple questions that maybe are less simple than may appear. Why should Christians strive to be good. Think about it. Why work hard to be good? What's the point of it? I mean, after all, if God forgives and is always willing to forgive, he will forgive again, right? So why should we exert effort and energy to be good when a gracious God will just forgive us anyway? I mean, after all, boys will be boys, right? That doesn't seem to be a part of Paul's thinking. You might ask the question at a little higher level of octane. Why should we exert energy to be good when we just don't want to? Or when it doesn't seem to be in our best interest? Or when being good will allow others to get the best of us or to advance in front of us? I mean, why resist temptation at all? Don't tell me you've never wondered about this. And even if you've never thought deeply about it, surely you've heard the advice that says, 
the best way to conquer temptation is just to give in to it, and then it will go away. But that really isn't how it works, is it? Give in to one temptation, then the next one just pushes things a little bit further, until suddenly you end up actually tempted to do things, well, things you would never, ever even consider possible before. Things you once thought unthinkable. Well, when you get so far past the edge of things, well, they aren't so much of a stretch anymore. Because sin always snowballs. Which may be a poor metaphor to use on the hottest day of the year so far, but it's still true. Paul addresses this particular question in Romans 6. Addresses the question people are asking, if God is gracious and will forgive us, then why bother trying to be good at all? We can just rest in his forgiveness. This is what Paul said. What shall we say then? Romans 6, 1. Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? By no means. We are those who have died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? Or don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that, just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we will certainly also be united with him in a resurrection like his. For we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body ruled by sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin because anyone who has died has been set free from sin. Now, if we die with Christ, we believe we will also live with him. For we know that since Christ was raised from the dead, he cannot die again. Death no longer has mastery over him. The death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. In the same way, this is verse 11, Romans 6. Count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. First off, Paul says, in our act of conversion, by becoming Christians, we died to sin. We've already made the choice at that point to give it up. To return to sin would be to change our minds again. The illustration that Paul uses is baptism. When you were baptized, the symbolism was of dying to sin and being raised to new life in Christ. This new life is a complete rejection of sin. How would we ever consider embracing sin again if we're now living a new life? The symbolism of death was necessary because it symbolizes our death to this sin-dominated body. We're no longer forced to respond to temptation as if our only resources to fight it were our human resources, 
and those of a humanity predisposed to sinning. In baptism, we're freed from that. We have died with Christ so that we could be set free from sin. Do you get the metaphor here? If you continue to embrace sin, you are undoing the work of Christ in your life. You are placing yourself in servitude to sin again. And soon, sin will indeed be your master again. So Paul articulates a mindset for us to embrace. Count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to Christ. Well, how do you do that? How do you consider yourself dead to sin, but alive to Christ? Well, you have to take temptation seriously. You have to take temptation seriously. We know that there are times when a still, small voice whispers in our heads, Hey, stop that. Don't do that. And we immediately have a choice to make. Hey, what you did was wrong. And we immediately have a choice to make. Hey, what you did back then was wrong. And we immediately have a choice to make. Hey, what you're doing right now is wrong. And we immediately have a choice to make. Hey, you are stuck in destructive patterns. And we immediately have a choice to make. Hey, you really ought to be doing. Hey, do you see that need right there? Hey, can you consider the good that you might do in this situation? And we immediately have a choice to make. Hey, that's the voice of the Holy Spirit. This is what John writes in the 16th chapter. Jesus is speaking, unless I go away, the advocate will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. When he comes, the Holy Spirit, he will prove the world to be in the wrong about sin and righteousness and judgment. Verse 12. But when he, the Spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all truth. The job of the Holy Spirit is to convince us of the things that we're doing wrong are wrong. And he tells us what the right things to do are. This is what Paul writes in Romans 14. Therefore, let us stop passing judgment on one another. Instead, make up your mind not to put a stumbling block or obstacle in the way of a brother or sister. I am convinced, being fully persuaded in the Lord Jesus, that nothing is unclean in itself. But if anyone regards something as unclean, then for that person it is unclean. If your brother or sister is distressed because of what you eat, you are no longer acting in love. Do not by your eating destroy sin for ourselves, but we can be wise in ways to assist our brothers and sisters in Christ to avoid sin as well. And that in the living out of those relationships in the body of Christ, we do this in compassion for one another, to encourage and support one another. Paul writes to the Corinthian church in 2 Corinthians 6, Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit, who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. 
Do you hear Paul saying that what you do with this human stuff of yours matters because the Holy Spirit is now resident in you. He has been given to you as a gift and he wants to guide you into healthy and wholesome living. That's his goal for you. This is what uh, Paul writes to the Ephesians church in Ephesians 4. Don't let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as Christ in God forgave you. These are the interactions that Christians should expect. If you find yourself bitter, or angry, raging, slandering, harboring malice, you should expect the Holy Spirit will talk to you about that. And if the Holy Spirit is not talking to you about that, you should be alarmed. You should be very, very concerned. If you can sin indiscriminately without your conscience bothering you, without the Holy Spirit saying something to you, my suspicion is, you have so continually grieved the Holy Spirit that you're not paying any attention anymore. And you have drowned out his voice, the one whose goal is to love you and encourage you and support you and be the agent of transformation in your life. We must listen to the voice of the Holy Spirit. We don't want to live as slaves to sin anymore. We don't want to live beneath our privileges as the children of God. I heard the story once of a, of a man who had a German shepherd that was leased on a chain. He was always leashed outside the garage on a chain. He had a 20-foot radius that he could run. Food was there, water was there, grass was there. He could always run on a 20-foot chain. Somebody came to his house one day and said, you know, you're really being unkind to that German shepherd because, you know, he only can run 20 feet in every direction. I mean, dogs would run more than that. He would but the German Shepherd had been on that chain for years and years. And so he unhooked the German Shepherd, and the German Shepherd just stayed. In the 20-foot radius, for 20 feet, he had been trained to stay in. For freedom, we have been set free in Christ. And the Holy Spirit wants to expand our horizons and take us into new places, new experiences, meaningful life. But it may be that you've been mastered by sin so long that you can only see 20 feet in one direction or another. If you will listen for the voice of the Spirit, if you will confess your sin, if you will accept the gift of Christ in your life, the good news that Christ wants to set you free and keep you free from the power of sin, you must ask the Holy Spirit to tell you the truth about yourself. You must listen every time the Spirit says, Hey, what about this? And you have a choice to make. You will agree and cooperate and act. Or you will say, maybe later. Or, I'm not sure I want to deal with that. Or, that seems hard. Or, when the Spirit says, hey, you have a choice to make. What choice will you make? It is for freedom that you have been set free in Christ. Let us embrace the freedom that Christ purchased for us on Calvary's cross.
Heavenly Father, by your mercy, enable us not only to accept your gift of freedom, but to remain free to serve you as your children, that you may be glorified in our lives, and that your kingdom may come on earth, and that your will may be done here as it is in heaven. We pray this in your name. Amen. And now may the peace of Christ guard your hearts, and may you walk in newness of life, in the freedom of the Holy Spirit, this day and always, to the glory of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.